My name's Peter Blanche. Welcome to another episode in our podcast series where we give you lots of resources to help you and your church grow in more health, more evangelistic fervor, wanting to multiply because that's what we want to see. We want to see healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches in their thousands across this country. Now, one of the things that will help a church be healthy is is having the serve part of your church where people engage in ministry and in ministry teams to have that area of fire. This episode's all about moving from rosters to teams. You've got Scott Curtis, Matt Lehman, and Katie Annis giving you some great insights into how you can help the serve area of your church fire. Okay, so let me uh, spend a little bit of time uh, digging into the why of teams. Um, And let me define what we're talking about when we're talking about teams, first of all. So teams, when we talk about teams within a church and ministry through teams, we're talking about a group of people. Uh, There is a handout that that you can follow through on this uh, in the app if you can download it. Um, So feel free to pull that out and that'll show you where we're going as well. But the definition for teams, teams are a group of people who have a continuity of relationships, so generally have a continuity of relationships, who come together interdependently to take responsibility for an outcome under God. Uh, so a group of people who have generally will have a continuity of relationships who come together interdependently to take responsibility for an outcome under God. Um, And all of our teams within the context of a church are hopefully going to be contributing to that great outcome of making disciples in some way or fashion that we'd love to see. And ideally, what we would love to see in our churches when we're talking about a team-based approach, although even within our context it doesn't always happen, what we'd ideally love to see is that teams become a place of transformation themselves so that they're not only about the the kind of outcome of making disciples through the work that they do but they can come a place where people are also discipled within their teams in the ecosystem of a larger framework where they're going to be discipled on Sunday, discipled in small groups, all that kind of thing. Now in contrast when we're talking about rosters we're generally talking about individuals or a group of people who generally have discontinuity of relationship uh, within their serving. They've got discontinuity of relationship within how they serve, and they generally won't have a team leader over them who's prayerfully thinking intentionally about discipling them and the kind of outcome that they're moving towards. Um, so that's just a rough, rough kind of contrast. So they generally going to be rotated through with various people. They might have someone coordinating that, but they're not necessarily having someone helping them take on ownership and to think about decisions as well as then thinking intentionally about discipling them together um, as that independent set of relationships. And from the get-go, though, we want to really be clear that rosters can still have a place within church they can still be really helpful. Uh, even within the context of our, our church at Hunter Bible Church, we still use rosters for some things rather than a team-based approach, but that's very rare um, in the context of our church. But they can still be really helpful. And we'll also, within the context of teams, use rosters for those teams 
or if you would rather use language that doesn't confuse it because they're still that more kind of interconnected, interdependent team, we, we schedule those teams to potentially be on at different times. But it's the same teams that are serving together. <clears throat> so that's a little bit about defining it. In terms of why of teams, um, now the Bible doesn't command us to do ministry in teams, so it's not like... You know, we're, we're sinning if you've got rosters in your church. Um, but they kind of make sense as an expression of who we are as God's people. So we're united together in Christ as one body, uh, yet we've been diversely gifted um, through the work of God to be in his service. And so teams actually enable us to harness those gifts, that, that unity and diversity, so that we can come together, be combined, and work better together, and serve better together. Teams also provide a space for another opportunity to express our love for one another, and a space for discipleship, where we can check in and how we're going and living for Jesus, pray for one another, open God's Word briefly to kind of point each other. There's, a, there's another space there that teams create for gospel vision, and to think about how awesome it is to serve our King. Teams require leadership. And therefore, they actually create more space for equipping and maturing God's flock and giving people ownership and taking on responsibility. Um, teams also, when you think about we're created and saved to serve better together, uh, they generally, teams enable us to be able to hand over more responsibility and so foster this sense of ownership within uh, God's kingdom and within his church. And there's a sense of, I'm a part of this in ministry, I'm a part of being able to serve Jesus within a team that they can tend to foster, as opposed to what tends to happen in rosters, it's kind of this box to tick that can happen, or this sense of duty that's not kind of, kind of fostered as well. Now, I think you can run rosters and still help lift people's eyes to Jesus, but it just tends to be that teams become a space where it's, it's more natural that that becomes part of the air that we breathe within it. Um, teams help us to encourage people to be creative, to problem solve, to make decisions, um, mobilising us to be able to achieve more for kingdom work as we hand over more responsibility to people. And they also become a clear intentional way to equip God's people in a place that we can um, build leaders up. So I think there's some significant advantages in having um, teams within our church and a teams-based approach if we can get there. Um, but to just get you thinking about your context um, for a couple of minutes and then Matt and Katie are going to jump up and share their story, um, just reflect on your current ministries at church and what ministries within the context of your church seem to have the most ownership over it by members within the church. So can you think of a ministry in your church that already kind of has this sense of ownership over it? Um, within your church, whether you've got teams or rosters, what's the one that seems to have the most ownership over it? So do that for a couple of minutes, then um, Matt and Katie will jump up. Uh, well, hi everyone. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Matt. I'm senior pastor at a church called Trinity Church Kernelite Gardens uh, in Adelaide. And I'm Katie, also at Trinity Church Kernelite Gardens in Adelaide. So um, thanks so much for coming along this afternoon. I was sitting in the last session thinking, 
Well, we were originally down for the like, 9 o'clock session this morning, which would have been great. I reckon we're in the worst time session of the entire <laughs> conference. Uh, it's the longest day. Like yesterday started late, tomorrow finishes early. Today's the really long day, and we've got the graveyard sort of shift from uh, 4 until dinner. Um, we really hope to make it very practically helpful uh, for you today. Um, some of you might have read sort of Patrick Lencioni books, Death by Meeting, The Advantage, things like that. What Patrick Lencioni does in his books, he's a management writer, he always starts off by kind of telling a parable, like a story which illustrates something, and then he'll, afterwards he'll go into the how and why, like in Death by Meeting or, or something like that. It feels like what we're doing today is the kind of reverse. We've heard the big picture kind of theology. We've heard a lot of practical sort of how-to uh, tips and ideas. Hopefully by sort of finishing this part of the day by embedding it in a story will hopefully make it sort of uh, memorable, interesting. Uh, Katie and Scott have been up in the session before this. I thought I'm going to need to bring the energy and the storytelling uh, capacity uh, to these things as well. Um, but also we're telling our story of our, our church which we realise is a little unusual. We planted a church in Adelaide and we had the extraordinary blessing of taking 120 really well-taught people who love Jesus uh, to start a church and uh, in God's kindness we've grown from there. So really the last nine and a half years since we started this church it's been me realising we've been given a great gift by ascending church and just not trying to fumble the ball. Uh, so often, because I do, I at least try and kind of fumble it forward in the right direction. So it's, you know, nine and a half years of fumbling forward, uh, I think would be our uh, kind of story in this. Um, but also, as I've been at the conference, I've been really, there's been so many points to sort of praise God by just hearing different people's stories from around the country. So very self-aware that we had sort of Lots of blessings starting off. I really look up to and find an extraordinary amount of um, sort of courage and uh, reasons to praise God by hearing stories of people who grew a church from 20 to 70 or Marty last night I thought was brilliant talking about what he's doing in Hobart down there and sort of hard to reach places. I love the story of Indigenous ministry and things today. So um, we're very self-aware that um, we've got a really supportive network uh, behind us in Adelaide and um, a lot of blessings. So please be gracious with us. We know uh, that what we're doing is, is somewhat easier than lots of other people are doing. So thanks for sharing your stories over lunch and things like that. We find them really uh, encouraging and help us uh, to praise God. So a little bit of our, our story. We're part of the Trinity Network in Adelaide. By God's grace, we've, uh, we've planted three churches this year, which has taken us from 11 uh, to 14 churches. Uh, we started uh, our church where we are in Kernelite Gardens back in 2013, and uh, we, you know, 120 people on the roll, sort of about 90 on a Sunday. Uh, we launched, we always find we get a bit of a bump when we launch. Uh, we kind of grew over the next 18 months to sort of being effectively full, uh, in our services, which is it's about 180, it's nowhere near the size of uh, this room. So we started a second service, getting God's kindness over the next sort of 18 months. That started uh, to fill up. We looked for a church planter and uh, we, we tried to look and one year we didn't actually find one, so we're a bit behind the eight ball. Uh, we finally found uh, Carl, who's uh, sitting uh, in the audience uh, over there. He joined the team and we tried to do a quick turnaround church plant 
quick for us is kind of two years. Uh, so uh, in uh, 2018, uh, we sent out uh, about 86 people, I think, to start a church uh, in Unley. Uh, then um, probably after that, uh, after we'd sent that out, there was so much effort and energy going into the plant uh, we then were a bit smaller church by that point. We were about 2.30, but it's, it's kind of just too much to fit into one service. Uh, but we're finding actually it was really uh, a challenge to keep two services going with full kids ministry at both. Uh, given um, we'd sent out a lot of the heart and soul of our church to start the new church in Unley, and we had a very centralised way of doing things. So, um, you know, we all mean different things when we talk about rosters and teams and things like that. Uh, but for us, we were, you know, kind of almost to the point of parity, um, like very centrally managed, asking people to do tasks uh, via PCO. It's a software many of us use for different things like that. And uh, for good-hearted reasons, we thought it was good to say to people as we started off, um, if you can't serve on a Sunday, that's fine. Just hit the red button, we'll sort it out. So green button, if you were asked to be on welcoming on uh, Sunday, you can hit that and you can serve, or red button, we'll sort it out. Um, as we sort of had started off planning the church years before, I just sort of thought, there's so many things that need to be done in a church and there's so many, you know, different circumstances in households. Uh, you know, some families all like to serve on the same day, some people have shift workers, some people are struggling with uh, mental health and committing to regularly serving might be really hard for them. So we'd kind of developed this theology of just kind of, you hit the red or green button, we'll sort it out. Um, and so by the time we'd sort of grown and planted and still had two churches going, it had lots of unintended consequences. Uh, we realised it was becoming really difficult to kind of make Sunday happen in two services. So we were a church of about 2.30 at that stage, um, needing about 70 volunteers to help out in some way on a Sunday to pull off creche at both services, music, full kids ministry and things like that. And it was getting increasingly hard to the point where we were paying our church manager about two... Like this is... You, no one probably else in the room has done it as badly as us. We were paying them about two and a half days a week to kind of put the jigsaw puzzle of two services together on a Sunday. It was really draining uh, for the succession of staff who did that. Uh, like, it's really wearing on your kind of grace tank. When you ask people to serve on a Sunday, they hit the red button. You have no explanation. You ask some other people, and the same people who always say yes and hit the green button hit the green button. And then so you see the people are working really hard, done something the last three Sundays, kind of, yes, I've, I've helped out on uh, creche this Sunday. And then you see all the people who hit the red button just kind of walk in, drop their kids in creche and, and go and sit down on church. Without any information, that's, that's really draining on your grace tank on how you sort of think about your congregation. It actually took um, my sister-in-law taking over that role who has a, a certain uh, ability to talk directly to me, to sit me down and say, this is not going to keep working. Um, and she's a highly capable, highly strategic person who's been a huge blessing to our team. People had tried to say that to me over the years before. I just wasn't able to kind of listen and understand why that was the case. So really what we're doing now is just telling our story of we realised we had a problem 
Uh, we came to a conference here in 2018 before Reach Australia started. It was called Team Pastoring Volunteer Revolution. We thought that sounds like it's written exactly for us. We had the whole staff team here and we heard all these things you've been hearing about today about passing ownership over to teams. People would say things like, we don't roster anything at church. And I'm thinking, how do you run church? Like, how does that uh, kind of happen? And uh, But it really did feel in God's kindness. It was the, uh, the conference written directly for us. Uh, we went back and implemented it, went through a change management process uh, on that. And just as a bit of a flash forward, uh, in God's kindness, we were able to plant another church uh, this year, and we sent out around about half of our church to start this new church. And so we, we've, I've planted a church before, tried to work it out. I've sent a church before under a very sort of roster, centralised approach. Uh, and now we've planted a church with a teams-based approach. And it feels so different that it almost, we often say like it almost feels like we're cheating um, because there's all these areas of church that are just happening without really much input from the staff team and people really get what they're trying to do. They're, the sound team are like, you know, they saw this a while ago, they're training up more sound people and working out together how to cover sound between the two churches. They've decided to buy the same sound desk so they can, until they get up and running, they can swap and help each other out. There's all these things happening. Um, that just cause us to praise uh, God for what he's been doing amongst us. But at the same time, I want to say as well, like Katie did on the last workshop, we don't want to paint a picture of a church running perfectly from afar, that if you visited, um, there's still plenty of things that aren't running the way we would like, that we're still thinking through and things like that. But uh, I think we're just really excited about what God's been doing amongst us. So we're really hoping to share uh, that story uh, with you now. So first thing to say... In this, uh, Scott will be up in, in sort of 10 minutes or so to kind of probe uh, some more questions to help you understand the nitty-gritty. This next little bit, we're just going to tell that story uh, in with scant detail so you can get the overview. Then Scott's going to come up and we'll take a sit, seat back here and we'll be able to uh, sort of dive in. So I think the first thing I wanted to say is uh, that change management is a, a long process. It's very tempting to come away to conferences like this, think, that sounds great. I'm going to tell my leadership team next month, we're going to roll it out the next month at church and everything will run uh, fine. Uh, for us, uh, we uh, were very much encouraged at the conference in 2018 to think of this as a long-term plan that takes years uh, to do. So we did sort of take notice of that uh, and slow down. So we still feel like we're in a change management process. We started uh, in 2018. And um, one of the books I found really helpful was Craig Hamilton's Wisdom and Leadership. I can't remember the, uh, the number of uh, the chapter, but it's called The Red Queen Syndrome. Uh, the chapter, I think it's about chapter 36 or something like that. Uh, it talks about doing change management well. So we read and digested and talked about that as a staff team for a while after we came back for the conference. We thought this is going to be big. We want to do it really well. So just sort of saying uh, up front. One of Craig Hamilton's things, you've got to create a, um, a burning platform for people to want to jump off and go somewhere else uh, as part of the change management. We thought, even just at that first step, we thought, wow, this is going to be really hard because everyone at church doesn't see a, a burning platform. It's a really easy church to be a part of. By God's grace, we've kind of grown and multiplied services and planted another church like no one would think things aren't working. But we saw behind the scenes the extraordinary stress on the grace tank of that person working two and a half days a week to put the Sunday puzzle together. 
but also we realised that we were really robbing people of kind of ministry joy uh, in owning ministries. Uh, we were shortchanging their discipleship uh, in not uh, giving them uh, sort of uh, real ownership and to be able to use their gifts. Uh, our church was very much limited to the gifts of the staff team because people were uh, just waiting for us to tell them sort of what to do. Uh, and so as we critique that, I was very careful at the time to say, I'm critiquing no one else but me in this story because we had lots of godly people who love Jesus, keen to help, excited about sharing the gospel, and we'd ask them to do something, and they were doing that with, with good heart. Um, so as we started the change management process, we acknowledged that and said, now we're going to ask you uh, to do something different. Uh, can you, um, oh, we kicked that off with... Uh, so after like a few months of planning, we kicked off with some uh, vision dinners where we outlined all this. We'll talk a bit more about that later. And that was sort of October 2018. So realising a problem at the start of 2018, conference in the middle of the year, three or four months planning change management, kicked off on October 18 with some vision dinners. What did we do after that, Katie? Uh, yeah, so with kind of some of the vision in place, um, we then decided we probably needed to be a little bit strategic about what we were going to do next. Um, so we started to think about some of the things like bringing clarity to what we were actually asking. Um, so we, we actually, one of the first things we did in that year, that 2018, um, in about December, January, November, December, January, we did what we called our summer catch-ups. Um, and so we talked together as a staff team about who were our kind of who are our key leaders, who were our core members at church, um, who are the people that we kind of want to paint this vision to even in a bit more detail and get on board. Um, and so we arranged as a staff team to sit down and have a coffee or a meal or something um, with all of those people um, and just explain to them um, in a lot of detail the depth that perhaps we didn't go into in the vision dinners, um, what this was all about, what we were hoping for. Um, and then really specifically what we were actually asking of them, um, given that these were the people that we were going to approach to be our team leaders, um, we wanted to be really clear with people about what that was going to look like. Um, so we prepared like a, a document that we took with us, um, one of which we kind of just outlined what it looked like to be part of a team or a team leader, um, and another document that just had a few kind of reflections about um, the person we were catching up with, what we valued about them, how they were currently serving, um, and then on the back it sort of outlined what we were, how we were asking them to serve. So what are we actually asking you to do? Um, and in those catch-ups, we also said to people, we'd love your feedback on this as well. Like, we'd love to know what have we, what have we missed, what have we overlooked, um, you know, what can you kind of ask of us to help us bring more clarity to this. Um, so that was kind of a summer of catch-ups, which was great. Um, we also spent a bit of time putting some thought into what we, were, what, the, what we were asking of our team leaders and our team members. So what were those roles going to look like? Um, we didn't want to be vague about that. We wanted to be as clear as we could um, going into it. And, um, yeah, I think some of those things we've evolved a bit over time, but in general they've stayed pretty consistent with what we're trying to do. Um, and given that when we were rostering with PCO, we were a very flat structure, you know, it was kind of... It was our church manager who sent out the same request to everyone. They came, they did their job, they left. Um, we also thought, okay, what are those layers of leadership going to look like? Because we need to bring that into our, into our culture to have team members, have team leaders, and then we're appropriate to have some leaders of leaders um, on that. Um, and then I think the next thing that we did once we'd kind of had a bit more strategy and people on board is we thought, how, how are we going to roll this out? Which teams are we going to start with? Because um, we, didn't, we didn't do a whole change all at once. We didn't pick all of our teams and 
launch them at the same time. Um, we looked at all of our team areas and we thought, okay, our, one of our kids' team, our minis team, which is our preschool team, they're probably the closest thing we've got at the moment to operating as a team. Like already they communicate with each other, they plan together, they were probably the team that had the least amount of staff input um, out of anything. So we thought, let's start with them. They're already kind of partway there, let's give this a go with them. Um, so we did, but we did it with all of our kids' teams um, and used the model of that minis and tried to kind of just start talking about the team, team language with all of our kids' teams. And then a few months later, we did our membership teams. So we did our welcoming, uh, coffee, morning tea, those kind of hospitality teams. They were our next group. And then a little bit later, we did um, our logistical team, so our setup and pack up. They came next. Um, and then it was about nine months, I think, after we did the first one that we kind of got brave enough to try our mag teams because um, they were the ones that we were probably the most nervous about. Um, we just weren't quite sure and we talked a lot about what does it look like for our band and the prayer for that morning and the Bible reader and the service leader to all kind of be part of a team. Will that work? Won't that work? Um, so we spent a bit of time on that and then eventually in about the October we rolled that out as well. Yeah, and uh, I always like when I go to conferences to get a copy of other people's work so I can take it back and adapt it for my own uh, purposes. So those documents Katie mentioned are on the app under the documents. Depending on the age of your phone, you might have found that app a little bit glitchy, but it is there, and if you can't get it, you can send those. Um, you can be in contact, I'm sure, through Rich Australia, and we're very happy uh, to share those, and you can take them and make them better and more appropriate for your circumstances. But we just had that little A5, we call it the fridge thing, so after that sort of summer catch-up, we could leave something on the fridge so people could remember like the five things we're asking them to do, and we'll talk a bit about uh, that as Scott interviews us in a minute. Uh, after we'd sort of rolled out that um, change, uh, one of the things we were learning to do is the um, importance of kind of empowering kind of action. Remember, we're going from a very centralised management um, uh, sort of structure. We wanted to empower people to kind of talk together and plan and collaborate and things like that. Um, but also, at, around about this point, we sort, of th we sort of foresaw, like, we used to be so in control and colour-coded and rostered and spreadsheeted on church, as we switch to Teams and turn off things like Planning Centre Online and not send out those requests, we were quite fearful that chaos would ensue. Uh, and in God's kindness, like, our fears were like 20 times overblown. People did a really uh, good job of uh, kind of catching the vision of what we wanted to do for Teams. But we also just wanted to al allow people to know that it's not all going to work perfectly day one. So we came up with a bit of an analogy that, you know, we're on one shore, it's the planning centre online uh, shore. We tried to paint this picture of what it looked like to be on this other shore without doing that and teams sort of self-managing and, and um, seeing problems we weren't seeing, coming up with solutions we wouldn't have come up with, working things out as teams. So we painted that picture of the other shore and then we said in between the two there's a swamp and we're going to have to walk through the swamp could be a bit challenging and really that was just a permission giving thing to sort of you know if no one rocked up for coffee on Sunday 
uh, for people not to kind of lose it and say, oh, this is terrible, let's go back, uh, you know, and grumble against Moses and Aaron and want to go back to the promised land of uh, PCO. Um, but uh, so we, we just did permission giving to sort of, you know, something's going wrong, it's because we're in the swamp. We'll get to the other shore uh, eventually. Um, we wanted our teams to communicate well. We had a long uh, debate on how we would do this. There's lots of ways to do it. It's not right or wrong. We chose the app Slack, which some people have used. A lot of people use it in their workplaces now. That's kind of our default, but we're quite happy for teams if they come up um, with other ways to communicate that work for them uh, to do that. And then so we, as Katie said, team by team, uh, we kind of shut down PCO and said, now over to you, and then sort of sat back and watched what happened and tried to encourage people uh, along the way, and it went far better than uh, we thought, which was uh, really great. And we're really trying to hand over, remember, uh, handing over responsibility and ownership, not just uh, a task to people. And then we sort of thought along the way we want to keep celebrating uh, and refining uh, what we're doing. Uh, so we had a great, we did some interviews up the front from, there were just some people who really grasped the concept of kind of leading with a purpose in mind. So we had uh, one of the mums sort of say, like, when I went to church as a kid, I always used to look like, really look forward to kids' morning tea. And we had a bit of an issue at church. All these people would present this wonderful morning tea. Uh, the kids would get out of their programs like a couple of minutes before the parents. They'd go and raid it and then take it all and hoard it on the lawn and uh, sit and eat it all. Uh, then the parents sort of didn't have anything. So she sort of said, oh, I want to do kids' morning tea. But she, it was really the purpose of, you know, just generating that joy in kids of loving to come to church, that my church loves me, there's something special there and things. So she's up sort of explaining this and kind of recruiting to the team that organised the whole thing. So we just got people up and, and sort of celebrated along the way. Um, and then as we rolled out team by team, we sort of learnt along the way and refined things. Uh, so by the time we got to MAG, uh, that's our kind of loving God uh, in the Pentagon of Power uh, kind of um, uh, section, which as Katie has mentioned, who's on that team, I was really afraid of doing it because my, my experience was we as a staff team and my church manager would sit down every three months. We would have asked everyone when they've got holidays, when they can't serve. We'd put bands together. We'd put it in a, a spreadsheet that we thought worked for everyone. We'd send it out, say, please review it, please diarise it. And you wouldn't hear much. And some people would write back, oh, yeah, that's fine. So we'd schedule them in. And then on PCO, you'd get someone hit the red button on Friday saying, I can't play drums on Sunday, I'm in Sydney. And, of course, we'd trained them to, that that wasn't their problem to solve and it just caused uh, all this issue. So I was dead scared of uh, trying to roll this out in MAG. But as we'll explain in God's kindness, it worked um, way better than expected. MAG's now, like, kicking it out the park. They're one of our leading teams that really get purpose, communicate really well, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, so all of those things that Matt's talked about, they, they sound like it's, um, there's some great things that happened there, but um, fear not, there were lots of things that we did that we were like, oh, I don't think we'd do that again if we had our time over. Um, so there were some lessons that we learned um, from it as well. And I think um, one of the key kind of lessons that we learned through this process was as a staff team, we, um, when we started talking about the layers of leadership, we kind of feel, we tried to fill those spots from the top. So we started with thinking, okay, who are our ministry leaders or department leaders, which are normally staff? Um, and then who are our leaders of leaders going to be? We called them area leaders, but we thought, okay, let's think about who would be good people with the character and the conviction and the skills to do that. And we sort of put some names in there. We, of course, had conversations with them um, later on. But 
And then we thought about who would our team leaders be, um, and then we thought about our team members. Um, and I think one of the things that we learnt throughout this process was that actually, we actually asked a lot of people to ask them to be a leader of leaders before they actually had a chance of being a team leader. So I think rushing those roles, putting people into leadership, especially leaders of leaders roles, before they've had a chance to actually lead a team and see what that looks like, kind of in some ways sets them up to not win that situation. Um, so if, if I was doing it again, if we were doing it again, I think we would certainly be thinking, okay, who are our team members first? Let's get our teams operating with a really strong and healthy team culture. Then let's see out of that who we think our team leaders are, who's got the conviction and the character to lead a team. And then out of that, we would think, okay, who are our leaders of leaders? So we'd probably do that leaders of leaders much later down the process than what we did. So it's, uh, just to affirm uh, what Scott said before for those in the last workshop of keeping those layers minimal. So to give you an idea what that looks like, we had two services on a Sunday, 9 and 10.30. We had a crash team that always did 9 o'clock on the first week of the month. We had a different one for 10.30 first week of the month. So there's eight teams and team leaders there. We sort of thought, we don't want Katie catching up with eight team leaders, so we'll put an area leader uh, over mm -hmm. the top of that, and um, there's a right kind of understanding there, but as Katie said, we wouldn't do it that way going forward. We'd rather build to there over time rather than rolling it out straight away. Um, and probably another thing that we learned um, was when we first started, when we first rolled out teams, we had our kids' teams on a different cycle to what the other teams were. Um, so we had most of our teams, we set them up so that they served one week out of a month. So one week on, three weeks off, one week on, three weeks off. Um, our kids' teams, just because historically we'd done it that way, served for four weeks in a row and then had eight weeks in a row off. Um, and I think we thought, we felt quite convicted that that was the best way for us to keep doing kids, so we tried to do that. Um, but what we actually did was set our people up who were, if there was someone on kids but also really loved coffee and wanted to be on a coffee team, we set them up for this clash every three months when they were rostered onto both and they just couldn't do both. They couldn't be in two places at once. Um, and so that created a bit of tension for them, thinking, oh, what do I do? Which one do I serve in if I'm on both? But it also created a bit of a tension in the sense that we were asking them to kind of, you know, think about how they could solve the problems. If they couldn't be there, how could they resource their team? But we kind of, well, I certainly felt like, I've set this up, so should I be fixing this for them? Is it fair to ask them to do it when actually, as a church, we've created this? Um, so I think after a little while, we made the move to put our kids' teams on the same schedule as all of our other teams, so that our kids' leaders now serve one week on, three weeks off, one week on, three weeks off. Um, and we didn't do that lightly, um, but we talked about it a lot and we kind of weighed it up, and it's been actually a really positive move for our church and for our kids, I think, so... And just to give some context there, because usually, and it was in the last session too, sort of shock horror, like how can you put kids on one week and then kind of the continuity there. Um, just some of our context is that sort of at our peak before sort of planting in 2018, we were about 320 on a Sunday across two services, about 120 kids in our kids programs out of, uh, out of that. And also demographically, we have almost no one in sort of the 18 to 25-year-old bracket. So whereas a lot of churches have an evening gathering with lots of young people around, we just didn't have that. And so we were leaning on parents and you couldn't put someone, you know, often you come to conferences and say, oh yeah, like kids ministry people should just do it the same every week and just sort of take holidays off, which I kind of get makes sense in a multi kind of gathering context. But for us, we'd just be telling people they can't come to church for however long uh, they were serving. 
theology aside, of course, it's church and the kids and things like that. Um, but that's just some of our context. So we're just trying to do the best that we can uh, with the resources we had. Really hope you've enjoyed listening to that workshop that came at the Reach Australia National Conference. If it spurred even more thoughts in that area where you'd like some helpful insights into your church in its particularities, into your own individual context, then there is a Reach Australia Serve Consult that you could have come to your church. All the information you need can be found at the Reach Australia website. That's reachaustralia.com.au.